We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Week six was wide receiver bounce back weekend, and we're going to talk more about that today on Rotoviz Overtime. My name is Colin Kelly. I'm joined by Sean Siegel. Sean, we are having an interesting season. We talked about it a little bit before we started recording here. Some of these games aren't that pretty. We talked about that on the recap show as well. Some of these games are a lot of fun. Some of the players are starting to break out, but wide receivers and bounce backs were something that was a big theme off this past weekend. The week prior, it was running backs that we focused very heavily on. So bouncing it back here to the wide receiver position. I guess we have to start off, Sean, though, with Monday night football. And, you know, maybe the less we say about it, the the better. But there is a lot of talking points coming out of it. The Denver Broncos losing to the Los Angeles Chargers in a kind of a, a field goal fest, which felt like, you know, after Denver put up 10 points in the first quarter, that maybe things were starting to get back on track. But that second half turned into uh, pretty much a nightmare, I think, for Denver fans watching it. They still had a chance to win it. Game goes to overtime they lose it there at the very end and even when they did lose it it was a a fumble on a a punt return which would have actually set them up with a a pretty good chance to go and try and get that winning field goal so both offenses struggling throughout this one Justin Herbert no passing touchdowns for him one interception 238 yards we don't really get a huge amount from anything in the game Austin Eckler does get 16 targets he does get 10 receptions for 47 yards Josh Palmer also gets 12 targets so both of those guys in the double digits real tough scene i think on the the denver side is probably the only way to fully describe it the big highlight i guess for them sean is greg dulcich gets in on the action he has two receptions for 44 yards and a touchdown in his first game in the nfl and i think it is part of uh the road of his overtime talking point sean that we have to mention the kj hamler did have two receptions in this game which is always a positive but how are you feeling you joked before we started that uh monday night football may have put you off football for forever <laughs> How do we get these Denver Broncos out of prime time? Can can we do something about that? Well, this this was a, I mean, a funny game, I guess, if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, because it shows just how far behind these teams are. But it was a dispiriting game for NFL fans in general. Very frustrating for fantasy managers. Colin, I think that you noted before we started recording that this is one of the lowest scoring seasons through six weeks 
in the last 13. decade. What was your stat? The, the lowest score in opening six weeks in the last 13 seasons. In the last 13 years. So that's what it feels like when you're watching these games. Pretty tough, especially it's if you're... like we're having a lot of those games where one team's even in, in single digit scoring or, you know, in the low teens. And like this year's a 1916 game. And most seasons that would feel like a, an anomaly or a standout, you know, total in terms of point scoring. But this season, it kind of <laughs> fits in with what we've seen so far. Well, and if you're subjecting yourself to all of the games, <laughs> it does have the effect of wearing you down a little bit. Every break I get from the games, I find my optimism coming back and the enthusiasm, the excitement <laughs> going into Monday Night Football. And you're thinking, I mean, this is Chargers Broncos. Yeah, I mean, they have some solid defensive players, but this is Russell Wilson versus Justin Herbert. You have Austin Eckler out there. You have Melvin Gordon with a chance to show what he can do with Javante Williams injured. The Broncos have Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. They have Cortland Sutton. They have Albert O on the Los Angeles Chargers side. You've got, well, you've got Josh Palmer, I guess. But, I mean, this is Mike Williams, a chance to prove that he can be a star. And hopefully the last game that they have to go without Keenan Allen. It was absolutely brutal to see Josh Palmer get 12 targets. He catches nine of those, but for only 57 yards. The kind of strange thing here when you think about how poorly Russell Wilson is playing and in my review article yesterday also had a little bit of a, a look ahead to the Monday night football game. And I mean, you see some red flags jump out for both players. The main element here is that sort of continuing a trend that he had with the Seahawks that Russell Wilson is really struggling to handle pressure. He turns an extremely high percentage of his pressures into sacks that leads him to have very poor expected points added per attempt it gives him an atrocious adjusted net yards per attempt number so you have the adjusted yards per attempt and then the net obviously adds in the sack element his percentage of on target passes extremely low all of those things carried into monday night football in what was really a tragic game but the bizarre thing is you go in and you look at the monday review tool you look at the full six weeks for these guys and Justin Herbert is actually averaging even fewer yards per attempt than Russell Wilson, which seems impossible. This is a game last night where you're watching really the first time in his entire NFL career. I mean, Justin Herbert came out. A lot of people were very skeptical and looked like a star right from the beginning. He's got the big arm. He's got the mobility. He's a great decision maker. Just this heroic type of passer. It maybe he doesn't have all of the elements that you need to be, you know, the number one fantasy quarterback. One of the things that didn't make a lot of sense to us, and we, you know, encouraged listeners to not draft him where he was going. He was going number two in a lot of leagues. Definitely didn't make sense to have him ahead of the rushing quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, but also probably didn't make sense to have him ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Now he's dealing with a lot here. They've had offensive line injuries you don't have Keenan Allen but I mean this game he just simply looked bad right you have to give Mike Williams a chance now Williams fails to catch a couple of the deep balls that he actually has thrown to him in this game but both of them were fantastic efforts I mean it, 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 you always end up seeing at least a little bit of this through your own lens and if Mike Williams makes that incredible twirling diving catch where i mean he was within a fraction when you originally see the play you're thinking well i mean that's a great catch but he's way out of bounds and then you see the replays and 
they're focusing in on his toes and like, I mean, that's probably less than a centimeter that he needed to actually make that catch along the sideline. That would have turned a main event for Dave Cabin and myself into a victory. It did stay a loss. Going into that game, it seemed like a clear victory. Not even worried about that one. When you go into these games and you're thinking, we just need Jerry Judy or Mike Williams to catch a couple of passes and we're golden. And then, you know, you get toward the end and you're basically not even paying attention to that aspect of it because the idea that either one would catch a pass just seems impossible. I mean, how are you watching a Monday Night Football game? And I mean, you've more or less just given up on the fact that these you know, elite former first round draft pick guys are going to even catch a pass. Now, Jerry Judy at least gets seven targets. He only hauls in three of them. There is the camera shot. And, you know, from a player perspective and from a team perspective, even if the coaching has been atrocious, even if your quarterback can't get the job done, I mean, you, you kind of still need to project good body language, not get caught on the sideline. You know, talking to Melvin Gordon about basically how terrible the team is. But, I mean, you watch these guys play, and Troy Aikman was also skeptical about the route running. You look at this game here with Cortland Sutton only getting three targets, catching two for 14, and maybe there are some issues there, but, I mean, this is just on the quarterback and the coaches, right? I mean, you, this is another game where KJ Hamler's open deep, just a decent pass, and he has a walk-in long, long touchdown. Now, in that situation, Russell Wilson does have a pass rush to deal with, but more or less stumbles as he's trying to set himself to throw that ball. That one actually completed. So it was one of the 15 that was caught as opposed to the 13 that weren't. He goes for 6.7 yards per attempt. Justin Herbert down below five, below five on 57 passes, and you win the game. The running game, again, not there. Eckler and Michelle carry 22 times for a per carry average combined of below three. Joshua Kelly, I believe, gets hurt early in this game. I was trying to like just get a feel for what's going on here, try to place this in context. And I really think that Nathaniel Hackett is one like walking up to his kicker and kicking him in practice away from being as bad as Urban Meyer was last year. I mean, this is a performance where you think from the very beginning where they obviously had absolutely no idea what they were doing. The crowd is chanting down the play clock for them and and now we're in a situation where melvin gordon gets benched for latavius murray i mean latavius murray was done multiple years ago latavius murray couldn't beat out Devontae freeman last year with the baltimore ravens albert o is a healthy inactive i mean one of the cool things here greg dulcich did look pretty good he gets available for that touchdown early on at that point you're thinking well maybe he's going to have a breakout game and be the breakout tight end of 2022 maybe the Denver Broncos will get this going really nothing happens after that but I think if you're a dynasty owner you have to be enthusiastic about where he is we have a lot of Dulcich as we try to get a lot of both of these guys across the various formats you know, shout out to our buddy Patrick Corain who was very very high on Dulcich even before we started to get all of this information uh, during the summer, the OTAs, the training camps, all of those things uh, just leaving not just breadcrumbs, but just driving the bread truck through saying, look, Albert O <laughs> has some concerns here. The coaching staff hates him. They want this rookie to go. The fact that they refused more or less to play him, even when Dulcich wasn't there. Again, this is this is horrific coaching. It's horrific internal evaluation, external evaluation. I mean, how you go out and get Russell Wilson at this point in his career, we thought that Russell Wilson was going to bring his strengths and his weaknesses, 
to Denver, right? This is a, a player who has he never been able. Weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, this is a player who's never been available to drop back and make the throw, right? That is not in his skill set. He's got to drop back. He's got to move around. He's got to wait for these guys to get open in a sandlot type of approach. And then when he has a guy wide open, he makes a beautiful deep pass to him. He's able to extend the play and he's able to throw the ball deep. He can't throw to players who are covered. He can't throw the guys open. He can't make the quick reads. He's not tall enough to be able to throw over the line. He has all of those weaknesses and he takes a lot of sacks, which destroy drives. And especially in the contemporary NFL where teams are basically just saying, okay, the offenses are evolving, but so is the defense. We've more or less learned that all you have to do on defense is force the opposing team to have a lot of successful plays in a row. That stacking successful plays is too hard. The teams are going to make mistakes, even if they're more aggressive on fourth down. They're not going to score a lot of points, and that's what we're seeing. Well, if you're Russell Wilson and you're also taking sacks, then you're destroying more drives. You bring all of those weaknesses, but now the strengths aren't there because he does have guys who are getting open deep, and he just he flat out cannot get the ball there. We think about the throw to KJ Hamler in this game where I mean he throws it up like a punt and Hamler has to wait and wait and wait eventually catches. It was cool to see Hamler adjust to that ball. That pass dropping incomplete was actually what I expected after I saw how long he was going to have to wait, how he was going to have to adjust with his vision and where the defenders were coming. There was also a hilarious pass somewhat early on in this game where Jerry Judy is arguably open deep. There's a safety kind of coming across the field, maybe over the top to contest it. But the ball is underthrown by about 10 yards, which means that all three players converge on one spot and the ball hits like a scud missile like five yards behind them. But that's after they had slowed up and they're like looking around to try to figure out where the pass could possibly be. It, I mean, it's frustrating, right? And we're not necessarily rooting for Russell Wilson, but you want to see good football. And, you know, then the other thing, <laughs> trying to figure out Nathan Nathaniel Hackett's backstory and i mean you go back to him coaching with the jacksonville jaguars i and then you think well i mean he did get hired by the green bay packers but as we look at that within context number one i don't get the impression that he was responsible for anything there you always kind of raise your eyebrows when a coach is hired based on the strength of the head coach and the two-time MVP quarterback. So where's the responsibility there? I mean, do they deserve any of that? And then you look at what's happening this season, and you're like, well, maybe the head coach and the quarterback shouldn't have gotten credit either. Maybe it was all Devontae Adams. But regardless, you go back and you look at what Hackett has done, and, I mean, it's not a surprise that this team is awful. This was a horrible hire, horrible free agent moves. Their in-season player evaluation has been tragic. It just, I don't know. I, I... That's terrible. This is, this is, it's frustrating to watch. It, it's it's such awful football. And then you go to the end of the game where you're thinking, at the very least, you know, you could fair catch a punt, and then you tie. It just the uh, you mentioned obviously the the link with them back to the Packers and the Packers are obviously we talked about that on the recap show that they're having very much their own struggles this year. But some coordinators are coordinators. You know, they're they're not meant to be head coaches, and it, it feels like maybe Nathaniel Hackett feeds into that. But you mentioned. And tying it back to Jacksonville, where he was with Blake Bortles, the situation there last year with Urban Meyer, that was an absolute disaster of the highest proportions. But the expectations for the Jaguars heading into that season wasn't the expectations that we had for the Broncos. So I think from where we had them in the preseason, the expectations around the players and the team in general, what they might do in that division, which was going to be one of the toughest divisions in the entire NFL, 
you know, I would say at this point we're getting to a stage where it's, it is worse than than what we've seen in Jacksonville. We'll see what happens with Hackett over the next couple of weeks, but yeah, it's been it's been bad, and it doesn't feel like it's going to be fixed anytime soon because obviously they they now have no Javante Williams, and it looks like they are not going to be playing Melvin Garden very much based on what we've seen on Monday Night Football. But Sean, I said at the start, bounce back wide receiver week. Let's talk happy thoughts. Let's talk happy things. Let's uh, move away from the Denver Broncos on primetime slates. But we do have the Atlanta Falcons and the San Francisco 49ers. A couple of notes in this. Marcus Mariota continues to do what they have done so far. We have talked and you've mentioned about the running plays that they're actually running and how efficient they're being with the run. And they go and they beat the San Francisco 49ers by 14 points in this 28-14 they kind of lead throughout they have a 14 zip lead at the the first quarter so game script straight away is leading to what the falcons have wanted to do so far this season mariota only throws 14 passes he completes the first 13 off those finishes 13 of 14 for 129 yards two touchdowns he has a rushing touchdown as well so this is kind of what we were hoping from mariota when we had to you know spot start him when, when trey lance went down a couple of weeks ago but we don't get a huge amount then out of Drake London, for example, in this one. He has four targets. We have Kyle Pitts with three targets. Pitts catches all three, gets in the end zone, which is very, very positive for us, obviously, that we want to, to see him getting in the end zone, his second career touchdown. But the big talking point on this is on the other side, where the 49ers have to really put the pedal down and try and get those points in that situation they head on and they get themselves Branton Ayuk with his big breakout game off the season he goes 11 targets eight receptions 83 yards two touchdowns looks really good had a really strong finish on to last season after the start of the season was a, a big struggle for him things weren't looking too hot with him and his relationship with Kyle Shanahan turns things around we also get George Kittle having a, a pretty solid day for him eight receptions 83 yards as well for him both with the same yards and receptions and Debo Samuel we've seen in a couple of games recently have Know, deflection issues on some of the passes some drops hasn't really been as smooth sailing as maybe we would have been hoping um for Debo heading into this season what was your overall takeaways from this um obviously we have to make sure we talk about Brandon Ayuk yeah Ayuk looked fantastic in this game you I mean you start on the Falcon side of this this is what we wanted to see from Mariota but maybe 25 pass attempts right and we're not even looking for high volume i think that's some of, one of the things that can get lost is that in the falcons thesis we're not looking for them to go out there and be the bills or the chiefs you're just hoping that they're not going to be a really bland version of those run heavy baltimore ravens teams but those teams were explosive this team obviously not the strange thing about this game is how well they were able to craft some of these long drives despite the fact that their running backs were struggling. You have Caleb Huntley go 16 for 59 yards. Tyler Algier, who again, I thought looked good, but definitely did not turn it into any sort of play that would stand out. 15 carries, 51 yards. He's at 3.4 yards per attempt. I mean, that's not going to get it done when your team is extremely run heavy. Marcus Mariota, actually a big part of it with that six for 50 and one line as a rusher. His ability to extend drives and to make some of these key plays, that's really what carried them through. I mean, they end up rushing the ball 40 times in this game at 4.2 yards per carry. You wouldn't necessarily think that's viable, but that's one of the things that you can do when you get some turnovers from the 49ers, including a scoop and score early. As soon as you get that, 
and the Falcons are up 14 to nothing. You're thinking, well, I mean, this game is going to go exactly the way it did go. But then the 49ers actually get right back in it. They score a couple of touchdowns to Brandon Ayuk. Ayuk has been in kind of this weird situation in 2022 because he comes off of the last 10 weeks in 2021 where he leads the 49ers with a 91% route share, and he was extremely efficient on those routes. 21% target per route, 11.2 yards per target. That's where you get the yards per route numbers that people like to reference all the time. So he's up there at 2.35 because of the combination of those two elements. And then he has this fantastic training camp where supposedly he's absolutely uncoverable. As soon as he breaks off the line, he's leaving defensive backs in the dust, creating the kind of separation that we, we tend to associate with Christian McCaffrey coming out of the backfield. And so there was some enthusiasm that even with Trey Lance at the helm, he's going to be able to combine the extremely high route share with high efficiency numbers. And so even if there are some volume concerns that where he's drafted, he's still going to be pretty playable, but that really wasn't the case. You have the rain game, you have the Lance injury. Jeremy Garoppolo has played poorly. His peripherals are still solid, right? Coming into this game, 85% routes, 20% targets per out, 9.1 yards per target. I mean, those are not bad numbers, not unplayable numbers in most cases, but the 49ers, had the fourth fewest passing plays per 60 minutes and you throw that in and then you've got a guy who is more or less sabotaging your fantasy team if he's in the lineup then you have this game where you've got the two separate 14 point deficits all three of their big guns go into double digit targets Ayuk gets a couple of touchdowns early i mean he's the one who you could argue didn't necessarily need garbage time to put up the numbers he has a 39 yard reception called back late in this game on a holding penalty, I mean, good news, bad news, right? In that I think he's confirming that he can be the guy or one of the guys here. One of the things that had caused some problems in the previous weeks is that Jawan Jennings has been involved, not at a level to where he's maybe cutting into the top three in terms of the pecking order, but if you're going to have that few offensive plays or passing plays, then you just need the targets to be very concentrated. Every Jennings target, you know, it feels like it's coming out of your guy. If you're starting Ayuk, it feels like it's coming out there. If you're starting Samuel and for George Kittle managers, it's easy to kind of overlook the fact that the George Kittle situation has been almost as catastrophic as the Kyle Pitts deal. So I mean, Pitts is the, the high profile one, obviously the huge miss for us, but Kittle, Darren Waller, you know, also struggling to compete and has created this environment to where, I mean, Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey, I mean, they belong up there with Cooper Cup, Stephon Diggs, uh, Austin Eckler in terms of, you know, who they, would be they've the locked one pick. the field multiple times at this point at the tight yeah. end position. Yeah. And so uh, you get this bounce back game from the 49ers. I think there are some positives here. The main problem still, though, is that Jimmy Garoppolo throws 41 passes and does not look very good. You do get a, a strong sense of why, you know, they drafted somebody else number three overall and wanted to go in that direction. Jimmy Garoppolo is somebody who, when he's been healthy, the 49ers actually have great numbers in terms of what loss. He gets them to the Super Bowl. They could have won that Super Bowl. If, I mean, there's still sort of the, the thoughts that if he doesn't get shaken up toward the end of that game and then miss some makeable plays, that the 49ers and not the Kansas City Chiefs end up winning that. But 
off of what was a rough off season for him, he does not even look like himself. And a lot of people would tell you, you know, that's not really what the 49ers wanted either. So cool to see Ayuk do it here. I think there are going to be some games like this. Jeff Wilson did not perform very well. Tevin Coleman carries four times for three yards. We kind of thought we were going to get some Tyrion Davis price in this game. That didn't happen. He still is an interesting stash but the 49ers in general are going to have to play a lot better. They had looked so good the past couple of weeks. The defense had looked so good. And then they have some of these defensive injuries to, I mean, really looked overmatched by the Atlanta Falcons. Is not where you want to be if you fashion yourself as a Super Bowl contender. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Next up, Sean, we get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh winning this one as a, a big underdog, 20-18. to 18. We get Kenny Pickett starting this game, 11 of 18 for 67 yards and a touchdown. He does, unfortunately, pick up a concussion in this one, rules him out of the game. Mitch Trubisky comes in. He throws 12 times during the game, but he also goes pretty pretty efficiently from Mitch Trubisky's side of things, 9 for 12, 144, and a touchdown from him. Big story, I guess, on the, the Pittsburgh side of things. This was a, a bounce-back breakout kind of game for Chase Claypool. Things haven't really gone great for over the, the last 12 months, I guess. It's starting off his career, starts off on a, a real hot streak, getting in the end zone regularly, looking very good, looking explosive. And, and then we get a situation where it really, really did cool off after that point. We get seven targets for him, seven receptions, 96 yards, one touchdown. We also get seven targets for Deontay Johnson, just the five receptions for 28 yards. 
Deontay Johnson continues to pull off miraculous receptions and catches that just unfortunately the rest of the games then aren't coming together for him where either it's the the volume or the passes or the the depth of pass that he is receiving that just isn't giving him those big numbers and then he isn't getting in the end zone but I still think we see Deontay Johnson bounce back and, and, and have a strong season but it is very hard for wide receivers in general when we're seeing such movement in some of these teams at the quarterback position and the rotation that is happening there another team that has had similar rotation i guess we'll say and this is just from one quarterback to the other but we've seen miami have a lot of change in their wide receivers have actually continued to do very well when that happens george pickens just the six targets three receptions 27 yards not a huge amount to talk about outside of that on the other side it's going to be interesting sean to see what happens with the bucks there now three and three there's a lot of you know online discord around tom brady and how he was reacting with his teammates. I know Sean's favorite thing is to talk about how Aaron Rodgers sometimes talks to his teammates, but Tom Brady not looking too happy in this. He goes 25 of 40 for 243 yards and a touchdown. The running backs continue to look pretty good in this offense, getting plenty of work. But the big question, Sean, in the uh, in the offseason, we talked about Mike Evans and where he was going in drafts and the perceived value for him. Then we obviously talked about Chris Godwin coming back from the injury. We didn't expect him to be in there straight away. But based on where those two guys were going, and I was concerned of drafting Godwin with the injury, but based on where they were going, it felt like if there was no injury to Chris Godwin, it wouldn't be a case that you would flip the draft slots, but that we would be taking Chris Godwin over Mike Evans and that they both would be probably going in the you know, third, fourth round range rather than where Evans was going in the, the second round at one point this offseason. With how things are starting to play out, we get 12 targets here for Chris Godwin. He plays, you know, his most snaps of the season, six for 95 for him. We get Mike Evans, four targets, four for 42. Does it feel like on that side of things, I know we're going to talk about uh, Claypool first, but it probably feels a little bit like we may be where we expected to be after six weeks where, you know, the offseason perception wasn't the same. Yeah, I don't know that you would have had them flip, but you would have had them much closer together. That was our argument the entire way through. We don't know for sure that we're going to see that be the case when it's all said and done. Mike Evans has had some sort of weird, quirky travails in his early season here. We know that he's been able to catch some touchdowns when he has been out there. This is the game where it really starts to raise some of those red flags again that we talked about during the offseason. You have a situation where you could argue that it's actually been pretty favorable for Godwin and Evans that Russell Gage and Julio Jones have not been as healthy as maybe was hoped. Obviously, the Julio Jones skeptics would tell you, I mean, you wouldn't expect him to be healthy at all because like some of these other guys, he's been done for a while. Julio actually has played well, though, when he's been on the field, something that separates him from an A.J. Green or an Allen Robinson, for example, but he just can't stay on the field. So this is another game here where the Buccaneers have said, you know, we think that we can be patient with these guys. We're going to take the long view. And then you lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Pittsburgh Steelers have been a bad, bad team. To lose this game, you can understand why Tom Brady would get so frustrated. It's probably not appropriate. And one of the things, you know, with an Aaron Rodgers and a Tom Brady, you start to get to the age where you're older than a lot of the coaches and you've had the success that they've had. When you fashion yourself in that role and think you're entitled to say and do more or less whatever you want, that it's going to be something that pumps people up, gets them to fulfill their responsibilities. I mean, I think that that works if you're playing perfectly yourself, but I, from the quarterback's perspective, 
he's thinking, okay, these guys are doing things incorrectly. And as a result, I'm looking bad and I don't want to look bad. But from the teammates perspective and the fans perspective watching, I mean, you get a very strong, these are all time greats who, instead of acting like all time greats at the least sign of adversity are throwing their teammates under the bus. And one of the things that we saw a lot in this game where Tom Brady averages six yards per attempt is that those elements that plagued his final years in new England were obvious in this game where he's throwing a lot of these balls with the nose down that are landing at his receiver's feet. And these guys are like, I mean, I think that pass was to me because you guys spiked it in my direction, but that's not a good pass. And you can't then run to the sideline and yell at the offensive line, yell at other guys. You got to make plays yourself. And it's just a bad look. I mean, you want to remember these players as they go out as being legends making some incredible plays. And one of the things that's still out there for both Rodgers and Brady is to have some of these transcendent moments. You don't want that to be poisoned by these things that you're doing in the interim. I mean, they're going to be remembered as some of the greatest players of all time, but especially when you have so many fans and pundits and fantasy managers rooting against you anyway, don't give them ammunition, especially when it's not good for your team. It's great to see Chris Godwin out there. He only catches half of his targets. He does go for 95 yards. It is a situation where he looked frustrated a lot because he's open and the ball is getting to him late. That part of it is is rough for somebody who is coming back from these injuries and feels like he's getting beat up by the defense because the quarterback is not executing quickly enough. I mean, from Godwin's perspective, he's just dealt with so much over the last 24 months in terms of injuries and taking this beating as he's used in this underneath route. I mean, he's probably thinking to himself, seven and a half yards down the field is not where I thought I was going to be targeted after I had that wide receiver two overall season with Jameis Winston. Do we have a quarterback who could throw some down the field passes? Now, one of the things with Tom Brady still has the strong arm, still can do those kinds of things. When you are a Godwin fantasy manager, one of the things we talk about a lot is you don't necessarily want these guys with exclusively vertical passes. You don't necessarily want an extremely high dot because that means your route tree and your targets are not being filled out by all of those possession targets that are great for fantasy value. Yeah, I mean, you want some of these deep passes. You need to connect on it from time to time. But if you add in the you know, three for 25 underneath, I mean, that's as good as a touchdown. And I mean, that's what's missing from Mike Williams game last night is that week five, they got him a lot of those touches week six. They seem to be completely unclear on to how to manage any of that. Godwin, you'd like to see some of those deeper targets that has been more the purview of Mike Evans, who's being targeted 12 and a half yards down the field this season. The Buccaneers have been very successful. They call a lot of passing plays. They change the game from a lot of ineffective handoffs to Leonard Fournette into a lot of dump offs to him where he's across the line of scrimmage now and he's into the secondary, even though he is a minus running back with the ball in his hands because of his size, because of his health, he actually is very competent in making those plays work as a receiver. The fact that he brings that element to the table makes his fantasy profile work. It makes the Buccaneers offense work, but you'd still like to see more dynamism from it. And 
obviously Tom Brady wants to see more dynamism from it. That's why he is getting so frustrated. At least the Buccaneers are not one of these teams that is pointing to 2023 or 2024. We mentioned at the top of the show how low scoring the season has been. A huge chunk of teams give you the impression that their goal in 2022 is to run the ball, keep the game close, not get fired, and then maybe in the offseason they can add five new Pro Bowl offensive linemen, an alpha wide receiver, an all-pro quarterback, and a young coaching guru to call the plays, and then they'll make their push. Probably won't happen that way. (laughs) Probably won't happen that way. Yes, that's going to be a tough one to pull off, but it does feel like some of the teams may have that uh, game plan in place at the moment. But, Sean, we're going to finish off with a couple of other wide receivers who had pretty solid days in games we didn't touch about. But the one that I want to just give pass along the note on, and it was great to see him out there. We talked about Wendell Robinson getting out for the Giants um, you know, this past week and, and getting in the end zone. A wide receiver who we talked about a lot in the offseason, and I'm hoping, Sean, we're going to be talking about a lot as we move forward here. He did suffer the injury in preseason, missed a good bit of time at his take one Thornton off the New England Patriots. He had three rush attempts for 16 yards and a touchdown. We also have on the other side of things, he gets the receiving work. He gets five targets, four receptions, 37 yards, one touchdown. So pretty big day for him and his first game active here uh, in the NFL season. The other one to note on that is Bailey Zappi continues to look very good in, in his role. But the one, Sean, that I want to get your thoughts on, I just couldn't let it pass without mentioning Thornton. I guess the, the Eagles and the Cowboys, 26-17 to the Eagles here a game that we expected the Eagles to win. They do win. They move to 6-0 and at this particular point in time. But not a huge Jalen Hurts game in this one, but A.J. Bryan and, and Devontae Smith doing what we were hoping. We had a little bit of frustration after the Week 5 game. We've had a couple of frustrating games with them based on weather and the scenarios that have played out. But not huge games for both these guys, but both of them getting to the end zone, both of them having five receptions, 44 receiving yards for Smith. And then we get 67 for aj brown so we're getting positive results here dallas goddard with the disappointing day two for 22 but when hurts only puts up 155 yards and gets two touchdowns on 15 completions if you can get you know those guys for 10 of the completions over 100 yards and both touchdowns i think that's a a good takeaway based on on how it played out probably not sustainable but still a solid week based on how the offense produced this week yeah, and they weren't having to deal with much from the Cowboys, but that ineffectiveness in the middle of the game does allow Dallas to come back, make a game of it. They're then able to lock the game with that late drive where they get the touchdown pass to Devontae Smith. The vaguely frustrating thing in this one is that Smith and A.J. Brown looked to be open more or less constantly. Now they both rescued their days with touchdowns, but to see Miles Sanders get 18 carries, again, average less than four yards per attempt. You get 11 additional carries for Kenny Gainwell, Boston Scott. That probably not the way that you want most of these games to go. Now, similar to the situation with the Chargers, you're probably going to get a more aggressive approach if the Eagles aren't dealing with some of these offensive line injuries But I guess the way that I look at this is that it's part of the game. You know you're going to have some of those injuries. You know that the dynamism you have on your team is with Hurts out there scrambling and throwing the ball deep. You have A.J. Brown. You have Devontae Smith. I still think that Devontae Smith is probably the underrated element there, where when you have two stars and then Dallas Goddard 
you mentioned he only catches two of his five targets in this one a frustrating game on the tight end front there yeah another guy where if you're starting him it just feels like you're losing so much ground to the the true stars and then also losing ground to guys like robert tanyan which is frustrating but when you have that much dynamism in the passing game and you've had success with it and you have a mobile quarterback you just really would prefer to see them be more aggressive i think that we're going to see that going forward but they're six and zero. They're undefeated. They get the two game lead here on the Cowboys. They have to feel good about where they are in relation to the rest of the NFC. Yes, the New York Giants have been this out of nowhere team, but they still have such limitations. If the Giants ended up being the Super Bowl team from the NFC, I don't know. It, it kind of takes you back to Bill Belichick's early time period with Tom Brady there with the Patriots where i mean he's reported to have said you know we won the super bowl with this blankety blank team and when you're shocked that you're able to win the super bowl because the caliber of your own team is so low then i mean that's got to be where dable is with the giants right now he's like we're five and one with this team he's got to be i mean you always try and and stay centered stay humble stay focused on the next practice the next play the next game he's got to be thinking to himself though i was a good hire for the giants and the rest of the coaches in the nfl are not looking very good right now so a lot of enthusiasm there they should get better you mentioned wandell robinson really cool to see what he was able to do early there are so many great things about this season michael pittman has the cool bounce back game there. He's someone we thought was about around overvalued. I think that's going to turn out to be very accurate, but you get 16 targets in this game. You catch 13 of them. That's pretty awesome for him. Tyreek Hill, he's backing up all of those provocative claims made on his podcast. You talked about Chase Claypool. Claypool has some massive red flags. He's going to be hard to start ever, but you have the, the big game there. That's, that's great. And, Long-term for the Steelers, if they're able to keep all of these guys happy and going, you see plenty of frustration from Deontay Johnson and George Pickens in this game. Hopefully, Pat Fryermuth is not already kind of into that portion of his career where concussions are going to become a chronic problem. We've sadly witnessed far too many careers derailed early with that, but... I mean, the Steelers look like they should be so fun over the next decade. Steelers fans have dealt with sort of an embarrassment of riches over the decade. So no one's necessarily rooting more good fortune on them outside of Pittsburgh. But I mean, they're in a great position. You have this game here with Juju Smith-Schuster. Where Smith-Schuster, after the big run-after-catch plays against Buffalo, is now ahead of his pace on a per-catch basis ahead of his pace from 2017 where he was number two in the nfl with 7.2 yards after the catch per reception but as i dug into this some more still not encouraging here only draws five targets when mahomes throws 40 times and on those two plays where he generates the big run after they catch i cannot open right he only draws the five targets and on those two big plays patrick mahomes had to do his own sort of pre-2022 russell wilson impression extend the play extend the play extend the play finally after the defense is covered for like 10 seconds he's able to find 
Juju and then Juju does the rest. That part is cool. Maybe that will develop, but you've got to be able to get open to make plays in the NFL. That part has not been there for Juju or any of the Chiefs outside of Travis Kelsey. We expect to continue to see big target numbers for Kelsey at this point. We mentioned the bounce back at the receiver position. There were some big names who needed to get it done. They do. Obviously, lots and lots of names who are not getting it done. One of the reasons that you draft so many wide receivers is, number one, you expect that they're going to be a great source of points. That hasn't necessarily been the case over the last several weeks. Number two, you're going to have some misses in addition to some injuries. And then you have the buys. You want to be in a situation where you have all of that covered. Dave and I have this really cool team that is doing well. And then it loses on Monday night because Mike Williams is shut down. And at the same time, then you're dealing with the Marquise Brown injury. Suddenly you go in a zero RB team into a situation where now you're going to be scrambling for wide receiver production through the bye weeks. That's not the way that you want it to go. It does happen like that from time to time. Everybody's out there looking for points and it's not any given approach. All approaches are looking for points right now. Colin, it was astounding to follow the live scoring this weekend in the FFPC. It was a thumbs up, thumbs down weekend. Top six, you get a win. Bottom six, you get a loss. The level of scoring you had to get to be in the top six was so low. But I mean, half the teams are still like, we couldn't get there. I mean, obviously that's how it works. Half up, half down. It's just amazing when you're talking about trying to score 120 points to get a win that feels like it should be very doable. We have four teams out on the bye, but frankly, not a lot of superstar players where people are like, you know, I didn't make it because my guy was on the bye. If you're already not making it because your players are on the bye, then you just don't have a good enough team. And when one of my teams that finished first scored like 141 points, 141 points was the top score. It's just, it's hard to believe that's the environment that we're in, but everybody's in. And you still have to put out the players who can score more points than your opponent. Maybe that scale is different than it's been in some previous seasons, but we're all dealing with the same thing. And it creates a fun puzzle to solve. And every time that you watch a game and get frustrated, then you go and look through the scores and you look at your team, you're thinking, what am I going to do next? The brain starts churning, the strategies start to foment, and you're thinking, okay, this is what I'll do. This is what I'll do. I'm going to adjust here. I'm going to address this. I'm going to start this guy. I'm going to make this pickup. And I'm either going to solidify my first place or I'm going to start crawling back, start clawing back. It's going to be fun. Just talking with you today. I mean, I can't wait for next week. Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, you know, getting those thought process going. We will have a, our show on later this week. We'll focus on those dynasty rosters that maybe do need to make the decision. Is it time to tear it all down or is it time to try and continue to scrape your way towards one of those playoff spots? But Sean, as we are getting ready to wrap up here, it is, on Twitter that this week it will be Taylor Heineke at quarterback for the Washington Commanders. We were hoping that it would be a different quarterback that might get the shot, but we didn't think that would happen. So we get a quarterback change in Washington, not the one we were hoping. We're still hoping to get Sam Howell in there, but we don't want anything, you know, with the injury to Carson Wentz. But let's let's see what happens this week. We may be one week closer to a Sam Howell led Washington Commanders. We will be back, as I mentioned, with that Friday edition. If you are subscribed on the Road of His Overtime podcast feed, that will come out for you on Thursday afternoon, evening time. So I would recommend to make sure you are subscribed there. Get the podcast once they are released. It is always on the Road of His Overtime podcast feed first. The links to get to that will be in today's show notes. But 
The other note, Sean, is that you and Ben hit 200 episodes of Stealing Bananas, which was your last episode that came out last Friday. So congratulations on that. But we are hitting episode 500 of Rotoviz OT. It will be our recap show next week for NFL Week 7. So that is pretty exciting. It's been a fun run. We'll probably have to do some sort of bonus episode when we get to that point. But that will be our 500th edition of the show. So looking forward to that. This week's recap show was our most downloaded show in a 24-hour period after it came out. So the recap show, Sean, getting a lot of positive feedback. So that is awesome. But we will be back with that show on Friday, again, Thursday, if you're subscribed to Rotoviz OT. But until we are back, my name is Colin Kelly. You can find me on Twitter, add over to Marlin. You can find all of Sean's work up on rotoviz.com. And until we are back, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.